0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, this is Stuart Roberts, founder of Haircuts for Homeless, and welcome to the Hear Me, See Me podcast. I'm going to be talking to people who are truly inspirational to me, some you may have heard of, and some you haven't but you really need to hear their story. Hello, this is Stuart from Hear Me, See Me podcast. Um, today I'm with a really great guy. I've only known for a little while. We've done some good stuff together. Today I'm with Stephen Easton. How are you doing, sir?
1: I'm good, pal. How are you?
0: I'm happy, very good. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, yeah. After a long Salon International weekend. <laughs> That's why I look like the walking mm. dead. But... Um, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Stephen is our team leader for our new Camden Haircuts for Homeless. So, um, you know, we've worked together a couple of times, and you're an interesting guy. So, I wanted you on the podcast. So, tell me, like, you know, where, where did you grow up? What was your sort of upbringing like?
1: So, I grew up in. Um, I, I moved around a lot as a kid, uh, and um, in Scotland. So moved around not not because of any like you know army background or anything just my parents and uh, you know breakups and uh, we actually moved to London when I was really little. Um, my 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 dad had his issues, so we moved here and then went back. So mainly Scotland, though, and and um, settled in in Aberdeen when I was about eleven. All
0: oh right. You know. so it was so you wasn't sort of uh, you're a bit transient was you at the beginning was it like a wee bit roots, you know what's that was it like not to have the roots because I I had very strong roots so I, was, I don't know what it was like
1: it's a funny it's a funny one I think I feel them more now as I get older but I think it definitely it's a good thing because I've I've moved around quite a bit as an adult mm. um and it it makes you a bit less um, fearful of moving cities, oh. but it also makes you a bit itchy and a bit less. And now as I get older, you know, being settled and being, having stability is, I'm understanding it just now. Why is it, why is it so important? So, uh yeah, but I'm I'm I wouldn't I i would not i would not trade being Scottish. I love being
0: Scottish. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm half Scottish. So My oh, dad yeah. was Scot, you know, and he uh, he grew up on a farm, and they they tracked him in the boffy at fourteen, and he jogged off down to England with the army as soon as he could. But uh, uh, yeah, I've still got family up there, and uh, I love going. Yeah. It's a beautiful country, you know.
1: It's amazing. I just I just miss the humour. Yeah. Like no no offense to Down South, I love being here, but people we're just funny.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I know. Oh, whenever I've whenever I've cut him, they rip me to pieces. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite so as yeah. as Liverpool, they really rip me mm. to it. pieces, Liverpool. But yeah, the Scottish have a go got me as well. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's good it's good fun. I, I love love being a Scot. Yeah. Where
1: did you? So, what? What took you into hairdressing? Do you know what? I um, I had a I had a rough time at school, and I with that, I wasn't really kind of focused on on what I was going to do. You know, when you start to get to like fifteen, and people are chatting about what you're going to do. But um, my mom used to send me to the salon, and to get my hair cut, and it was like in this we lived in like a village in Aberdeenshire and they had a lassie who was working there on a Saturday and bless her I hope she's I don't know what she's up to nowadays like but um she was quite quiet and in Scotland they call that doer oh my. like she was just a wee bit a wee bit sullen not too chatty and, um, she was the Saturday girl at the time and I came in and they said, oh, you'd be really good. And, um, I'd always like, I had a paper round and worked in a restaurant and all that stuff. So I just thought, right, I'll work here on a Saturday. And at the time, so I was 15 and at the time there was the TV program, the salon, remember? Yeah. yeah. And it was like, I just remember thinking, oh, I could do that, yeah. you know? And they were all like, I didn't really know, yeah. You know, I was, I wasn't really accepting the gay thing yet, but I was definitely, I knew I was different. And um, it just looked quite hairdressing looked quite accepting. Yeah. And when I looked into it, you know, it, it, at that time, and you'll know that you'll know this, you know, the, the school, the school wasn't very supportive. Hairdressing was seen as something that kind of like the naughty girls done.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you was like a naughty girl, was you?
1: I was a naughty girl. I was, I was, uh, I was putting that pile. That was, that was the, the easiest pile for me at the time. And, um, but I remember, I remember a friend of mine at school, her mum and her mum and dad had done quite well for themselves and stuff. They had like a nice house and businesses. And she said to me, if you're going to be a hairdresser, you have to be a good one. So she like, said, these are all the posh salons in Aberdeen. Yeah. And, um, yeah, got, had an interview and got an apprenticeship in um, a sax salon. All right, yeah. In Aberdeen. And um rest is history. I was there for 11 years.
0: Right. So, yeah. And where did you take you after that? Where did you move from Slack?
1: I decided to move to Brighton. Oh. Um, Genuinely, as as basic as this sounds I went to Brighton Pride for the first time When I was like 27 And I'd, you know, I'd I'd been I was out in Aberdeen and stuff But I wasn't maybe I don't know There was always that feeling that I wanted to live A bit of a bigger life Than what I could in Aberdeen Aberdeen's great, but 10 years ago it was still you know, there's like one gay bar and, you know, it's yeah. not, I'd always looked at, I, don't, I you know, I'd been to London a few times and, and thought, oh my God, I want to do that. So I went to Brighton Pride and thought, I'm going to move here. Yeah. So that's what I'd done. And um, w- was at a few places while I was kind of finding my bearings and then um, I'd always wanted to work for Travis Orby oh, and yeah, yeah. yeah I um, was always a little, lo- Was that?
0: they had one down there, didn't I? There
1: was a, I it's they still, still
0: do it's still, it's still there is it yeah yeah. It's
1: still got a Brighton sound mm-hmm. no, so, yeah no I'd, I'd always wanted to work for them and um, I'd always been you know put off by the Vardering and stuff because I'd heard that it was really tough yeah. but um, I kind of finally like I was like no nah, let's give this a go and um, one of the best things i ever done worked for them for four years really yeah. And ended up teaching for them and um, it's kind of what like made me into, uh, I'd see myself as a good hairdresser now. Yeah. And I was before, but I was, I was still winging it a wee bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. But, um, but there's nothing wrong with that, but the the, 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 the Vardarin and, and the education at Sorby's just like really put a, a rod down my back, you know. And um, so that was that, and then and now I'm in London, left Sorby's a few years ago, working for an Aveda salon that has a bit of a background of you know we have someone who used to work for Sorby's, and you know I'm 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 really settled there now, so
0: yeah, it's good. And and, and rolling forwards, you contacted yeah. me, and then uh, I don't know. You know, and we, you know, is this it's a great place that i know uh you you've done well because you're looking for places to find it and, and everything and uh, it come up with the salvation army at chalk farm uh, yeah and it was incredible that first session we'd done uh and me and Blinda come, we we come out sometimes you think oh, i don't know if this one's going to work or you know we've we've opened so many we've opened over 80 now across the uk um but we had to we come out, and it was one of We went. This is great. This is like a real deal. This place, and it's um, and what was beautiful was that you know over the years, many many years working at Whitechapel Mission, I come across a lot of lovely people, and unfortunately, we're not able to go in them anymore because of the space. But there was a lovely Irish guy called Michael, and I think I heard him before I saw him. I think. <laughs> And I went, I think that's Mike. And I went out the front. And went, How are you doing? And he come in, and he was, you know, it was it was so lovely, you know, to, to see him again.
1: He's so many characters, like
0: when because then we recently done another one. Now you've you carried it on now, which is fantastic. What we want when our team leads us it's like invest in it and, and you know make it a regular thing because these guys let get let down all the time so we say yeah. if you're gonna start please keep it going because yeah you know, they get let down by everyone so the, we can be the one thing they can rely on you know and you've done yeah. that you kept it going we managed to revisit recently we had some wonderful characters that night didn't we
1: yeah there was um and there was some cracking haircuts as well yeah. i was jealous i was there was one you were doing i was like oh I wanted to do that.
0: Oh, <laughs> no, you did. And that's why I pinched him <laughs> because, because my sister does the list and I can just give her a and send some up my we're about the it, guy you, tattoos. Yeah, you yeah.
1: were you were the you were the VIP, you were you you've been <laughs> traveled, you you can have the pick. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm I'm not
0: proud. You can get it next time. <laughs> mm. oh, he was amazing. G- uh, what's he was he you really do? What was it, Dovia? What do you, what do you, what do you get from it?
1: You know what? Like, I'll be honest. I think I'm similar to. I think a lot of people are like this, where when you have struggles in your own life, it's people suggest to you along the way. You know, you should help other people and. I've always seen it and I would see how I'm a big searcher. I'm always looking at, I'm always looking at other people and seeing, you know, where, how do they get to where they've got to, how did they get past their shite, you know? And I'd always see people helping. And then haircuts for homeless has kind of been in my, um, site for, oh, it must be at least five years now when I first seen it. And I've always thought oh that'd be good, but i just I just never got around to it. I never got out of my own way, and then I had some a particularly dark time at the end of last year, and I just done it, just got in touch, and honest to God, it's one of the easiest things I do. <laughs> it's so easy, and I don't mean like the work, I just mean the entire environment like it feels very i feel like i could do that twice a week at least i could do it every day but it's um it's so easy and it's well we we spoke about this like i do want to tell everyone about it and i want to tell everyone to do it but i also understand that i think you have to make a bit of a space mentally to just say I'm going to give up my time and then once you've done it you'll keep doing it, I think that's I think,
0: the way I see it I don't know about you but that um, well, I, I mean it must be a real thing for me because I've been doing it so long you know but, mm. you know, it, the best way in the world you've got to get fed up with something if you're not getting something out there and what I get, you know Often I've got the world on my shoulders, and I walk in, like chalk Farm a perfect example. I never want to go. A bit like the gym, I don't want to go. Yeah. <laughs> the it's, it's a slip up there. The trains that carry the bags, and you know, and then and something. And I might have had a shit day or a shit week, and I'm like, mm. do that, let's do that, this do that. And I walk in, and it all lifts. Mm. And the first chat with with a guest. Is like all oh, my shit goes out of the window because I can mm-hmm. listen to their shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Invariably, their shit's a hell of a lot worse than mine, and we sort of float out. We float out. I mean, me and Blinda, and it's always the train journey home's a lot quicker. <laughs> <laughs> we've had a, We've been lifted. We've been, if it's your soul or your spirit, spiritually lifted. You know, like mm-hmm. um. And that could be addictive, and you know, I suppose that's my addict. That's my, you know, I love that feeling, Uh and I get it less and less out of fewer things now. <laughs> so I have to grab it where I can, because what I keep overdoing is over anything I like. I overdo it to the point where I think, oh, I'm doing a bit too much of that. But this yeah. is the one thing I seem to be able to just do is more and more and more.
1: <laughs> oh my God! I mean, I'll just call. I'll just copy and paste everything you just said in the last minute that's yeah that's yeah yeah (laughs) exactly that exactly that everything I like doing it everything I like doing I managed to do it until I've kicked the arse out of it yeah yeah so um with this it just feels it feels really easy to do for me and I think you know, you said something. You, you. I think you. You said, I heard you say, "Oh, they're just this. They're just the same as me." I think, yeah. and that's the. You know, home, homelessness is something. Touch wood. I've never. You know, I've never been homeless. I've, I've I've seen and heard a lot in my life from a young age, but we were never like we always had a roof over our head. We always had clean clothes. Like all of that sort of stuff. A lot of, seen a lot of like things with abuse and addiction, but never seen, was always warm and fed. And um homelessness is something that you can just breeze through life without having to look at it. Mm. But when I've had to face, particularly the last few years, the extent of like mental health and addiction in my life, it's made me realize that I I'm genuinely one or two turns away from being there, mm. you know, one or two decisions to the left or the right. And I could be homeless as well. And, you know, it's, um, I think do doing it like, you know, you, you want to do it because you want to hope that, some of these people, you know, you're not going to see them because they've yeah. they've got themselves, you know. And uh, some of them, I, that's what I love is like some of the the guys who I've had this a few times where they've said, right, I'm actually, you know, I'm going to go tomorrow and because I've had my haircut, I'm going to go and try and get a job tomorrow. Or do you know what
0: I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had that a lot. So, uh, Say, so I've got, I'm so glad you're here tonight because I've got an interview tomorrow and things like that. It's, it's very often. And it's lovely when we go to a centre and we gradually get to know people. And then the next thing they say, I've got a place, you know, oh. we're all like, oh, it's amazing, you know. Um, but then unfortunately, like, sometimes it's like we go and it's, oh, they've passed away, yeah. they've gone, they're like, you know the the, the age, the, the the mortality age of homeless people, street homeless people, is very very low. I won't quote it because I don't know it, but I know it's it, it was shockingly low for, yeah. for men and, and, and for women. Um, and unfortunately, that is you you know the, the the sad times, but the happy times are amazing when you get someone and have... and as well sometimes if you if you've been visiting a certain place a long time and you gradually see them the, 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 them grow and get better, and, you know, it's a beautiful thing, you
1: know. Uh, it's, it's cool eyes, man. I love it.
0: Yeah. Well, at the end of that last session, we was in a chat. Um, it was a great chat we was having, and I just wanted yeah. to continue it on here.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and even with this, you know, like the lovely Blinda. She's a legend. She's great, isn't she? And I said to her, her. Uh, she said, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, well, I'm, A, I'm not getting up early, and B, I'm <laughs> not uh podcast in Steve's podcast. I definitely want to listen to that, you know, because she was really <laughs> interested by it all. She's more interested in your new tattoo, but apart from that, she really... <laughs> Aye,
1: well, I did well, I didn't get that to, to not get attention, did I? <laughs>
0: Certainly not. It's wonderful! I wish I'd have took sort of a picture. I wanted to show me kids, but uh... <laughs>
1: I, um, I understand. I've shown it to one client,
0: and um, uh, I I love it, ladies and gentlemen. This man has got a showstopper on his thigh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah it's def it's definitely a bit of a fuck you tattoo to be it
0: certainly is, and funny enough the guy with the tattoos who were the you know full body yeah it's all yeah. covered uh and he had fuck you on the back which i thought was really funny it was sort of it was amongst all this scroll work and everything but then when i went oh look, yeah fuck you on the back oh, so behind him is the same fuck you too um love it but yeah, at the end of that conversation, you, you said you spoke about um being HIV positive, mm. And we had a chat about that and the stigmas and that. And you know, I first I immediately related to that wonderful programme that had all my family in tears. It's a sin. Mm. And what was really scary for me at point is that because I'm i I'm old enough, what watching that drama unfold with mixed in with the factual stuff of the The adverts that went on the telly you know and and I remember that ignorant fear, mm. the ignorant fear that the media like people in that position at the time, it must have been absolutely horrendous because they were so victimized and ostracized and you know alienated and and it's, it's, so I think, and what I loved about it, it was showing the truth, the reality, and you know, the, the, and, and to dismiss the fears. And you must, it, it, when you saw it, it must have really moved you at that, that piece
1: Well, I've watched it since from start to finish three times.
0: Yeah, after done
1: it's twice. Yeah, because. I've had a fair bit of therapy. I've seen like a psychotherapist continuously for about three years. Three years for some people is nothing. And I'll definitely have more therapy in my life for sure. But the, the, the therapy relating to my HIV, I've been HIV positive 10 years now. Uh, be 11 next year. The therapy that I got from It's a Sin was just that like, I don't understand why it didn't win any award. Why it didn't win a BAFTA? I don't get it. It was one of the best bits of TV I've ever seen, and I'm definitely not getting this wrong. That it was Russell T Davies that done it. Yeah, and he done. Um, I mean, he's really well known for Doctor Who. I'm not really. I don't really know about all of that stuff, but he done. I'm uh, not we a sci-fi I'm, guy. We were hey? I've done Queer as Folk, yeah. And Queer as Folk was also therapeutic in a sense that it kind of was the first thing that... Because I, I was too young when it came out, but it was the first thing that I kind of... One of the first, like, box sets, videos, DVDs, whatever I would have bought at the time, that I reached for when I started being openly gay because it, you know... And I ended up moving to Manchester for a while as well, so I ended up... uh <laughs> Do it, doing it I ended up doing it but going back to It's a Sin it was like especially that monologue at the end by the young actress I can't remember her name it was like she couldn't have put that whole last episode when um, the mum the is you know going around that hospital and her heels are clacking and She's deciding that she's gonna, you know, all of that is so relevant. Um, I've, you know, I've had my journey with it. I've had my journey from 2013, so I've had a, an insanely different time to what the people, all those guys in the 80s had. You know, I I came I came into something very different, but it's a sin it was heartbreaking i mean i sobbed the whole time because i think about all the people and what they had to go through but also because as much as we're in a different place that stigma hasn't you know disappeared so yeah it's uh it's one of the best bits to tell ever
0: yeah what what to what extent do you think the stigma is still there to what level do you think people's ignorance is
1: like i think in this day and age i don't i'm 35 so i st- i think of myself as very like i'm always worried about saying the wrong thing yeah. i'm all i'm always worried about using the wrong word i grew up in aberdeen very you know not very progressive, very white, like very, not very open at all. And, you know, I still, I think that, I think with HIV, I think people know, people know that it's treatable. People know that it's not a death sentence, I think. But that's not to say the stigma is not still there um i think it depends on you know in the gay community um i think the stigma's very low mm. but outside of that i can't i can't really i'm not sure i think because i've been very lucky with, you know, I said this, I think I said this to you, I've been very lucky. I wrote an article a few years ago and it asked where I'd faced the biggest stigma. And I said, um, the biggest stigma I faced with HIV is for myself. Because I, yeah, I have not had any family turn away from me. I've not had any friends turn away from me. Um, You know, I had to tell people, Ten years ago, I was 24, and most of my friends were girls. You know, i I don't i I kept it I, I kept it to myself for almost a year. And When I finally started telling people, you know, I remember telling my first female friend, and it was like still upsets me to talk about it because she genuinely thought I was going to die, like when I told her. She was like, <laughs> "I'm not laughing," but she was so hysterical. She was like, "Oh my god, you're gonna die!" and I'm like, "No, like, let me tell you, you know, it, it it's not going to be like that." But going back to "It's a Sin," that final mo- monologue of of shame—that's the the biggest stigma I've felt, and the biggest stigma I think some gay guys have felt is to themselves because getting HIV was like to me in my 24 year old head was like evidence that there is something wrong with me
0: yeah
1: do you know what i mean like being I, yeah. gay yeah do you see what i'm saying yeah do, yeah like being gay i'd always felt that there was it always felt that i'm i'm wrong because i'm gay i'm i'm dirty because there's something wrong with me and i managed to i managed to package that okay i was in the best industry for it because hairdressing is one of the industries where being gay is okay, you know. I, this is me talking in past tense, by the way. I know things are different now. But growing up in Aberdeen, it was it was okay because I could be camp and yeah. all those sorts of things. But um, getting HIV made things very real. You know, it's, it's an STI. It's... Um, yeah, so I think the stigma I've had to work through is is the stigma that I've had against myself and I think that's why I like to talk about it outside of maybe gay spaces mm. because I want I don't want there to be a stigma about it, mm. you know. So yeah.
0: It, it, it's fascinating to me because we, we are harder on ourselves than we would ever be to anyone else we say things <laughs> to ourselves that we wouldn't unless you're a complete psych, psychopath or something you wouldn't dream of saying to other people, you wouldn't stand and just say but the things we say to ourselves and it's um, I the thing with me has been that I've got, the only thing I can relate to that is because I was abused as a child, and um, it took me a long, long a hell of a lot of long time—to just have that have no effect on me anymore, you know. But the inner voice is because what happened with that—that that was in the seventies, and it was a time when, uh, you know, things weren't. I love my parents. I miss them both dearly. I've got no judgment on them at all for it. They handled it the best they could at the time, but their reaction to it was to brush it under the carpet, and you know, don't oh, don't mention that. That's not you know that's that's not nice. Well, you know, I think we'd agitate and sort of it out, but it's got to be, you know, uh, and what that does to you—that gives you this feeling that you've done something terribly, terribly wrong. And I think until that point, you're almost like you know. Like you're upset by it, but you don't particularly think you've done anything wrong. But that makes you feel like it, and then you've got that thing ongoing that you're. As you, you said, the word "dirty" and that resonated. You get that thing of like, yeah, you're you're, you're dirty, you're spoiled goods, you're. And as well, what it does, it twists your thinking, so it takes an awful lot of work to sort of untwist that and to. And I think that's the thing, it's the it takes a long time to learn to love yourself. And I think that's where also you feel stages of relationships not working because you it's very almost very almost impossible to love someone else unless you inertly love yourself, you know, until you start to love yourself, then you can actually have love for another person. So someone giving you my life story now, but that's that that's that's how I can connect to that, you know. Or that effect.
1: No, I mean I really appreciate you telling me that. And I think you're such a you're such a rock star man that you can No, you are. That's so that's so fucking cool that you can you can say that because some people never never allow themselves because it does take compassion to want to get better. Mm. You know, when you're in a jam with bad relationships or addiction or any of these things, when, when you, when you're in a jam, you have to have at least a glimmer of wanting to be better. Mm. And, um, I think, you know, I've, I've, I've always felt like, No, not always. I was a very easy kid. I was, I was like the, when I was a kid, I just wanted to be Freddie Mercury, ironically. But like, that's all I wanted to be. Honest to God, I just wanted to be, I wanted to be Peter Pan. I wanted to be Peter Pan. And then from the age of about six, I was just obsessed with Freddie Mercury. Yeah. He was, just, I still am, I think got him there. I see him, I see him. He's, um, he was just this like, just like to me, he was just like, oh my God, you're a man, but you're, and you look like the way you look, but you're just skipping about the stage and <laughs> no one, no one's, no one's looking at anyone else. You know, he was just this, <laughs> oh, just my idol in a lot of ways. Um. And I was very innocent. Very innocent. I still am a little bit, but things happened with me when I was a kid as well. And I don't. I'm. I'm not comparing. I don't know what happened with you. And it was very complicated as well because I've. I've got a fantastic relationship with my mum now, which I'm. I'm extremely grateful for. But she was. She came from a. She's one of eleven kids. Oh yeah. And there's a big. A big history of abuse within the family Um, as kids. um, She was one of the victims of it. And then nothing as bad, abuse is abuse, but you know, there was definitely, I still struggle to like kind of, I've had therapy around it and they've, you know, told me that I experienced abuse as a kid as well and I still I still struggle to kind of put a finger on it or put a word on what happened but it definitely made, started the beginning of me feeling dirty and um that that feeling is like I don't know I don't know if it'll ever leave me actually and I'm starting to believe that I'm not but it is I think it's maybe why things like coming back to like doing the homeless thing and stuff that just feels so easy to do because I kind of I don't want to sound like I understand because I've never slept a rough night in my life but I get that feeling of feeling
0: you know feeling, like,
1: damaged, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I mean, we're talking about powerful TV. I was, the last few days we've watched the uh, Reckoning, the uh, Steve Coogan, Jimmy Savile, like, and he he, he he needs every award going for that. Firstly, bravery, you know, bravery for being the man who does portray. Right. Who's going to want to take that on? And he did. Does it in an incredible way. But last night we saw the uh, the last episode and, you know, I won't say anything about anyone I've seen it, but there was just a little bit in there where there was this giant little boy and he goes into a room and then there's the... Uh, the he starts shadowy figure in front and it was exactly that really... And I don't get triggered hardly at all anymore. That that was the same scenario because this this guy had um, French doors on the back and he was there and it's that feeling you can't get out He's, you know, and that little thing and, oh god he got me by it really got me, and my boy who's twenty seven right I see him glance over I was trying not to like I didn't you know, and uh, he went to bed like after He come out about five we say come out give me a cut off. <laughs> He must have picked up on it Do you know what I mean And uh, I'm Yeah I'm really I'm really quite sad that he Saw that pain but um, It doesn't come out very often And and that's why I was Sort of and you know I'm really I'm really so pleased that People are brave enough To do these things it's a sin you know This the reckoning you know Like because it's almost like if it's making you feel uncomfortable, it's fucking working. You know, mm. so we need to know, we need to feel, we need to understand, and we must always remember. It's the crucial thing of these things.
1: I think as well. I think with any with any struggle, you need represent representation is so important. Mm. Um that's why I've always struggled with like cancel like culture, because I I do believe if you've done something wrong, you have to pay the price a hundred percent. But like, y- y- I don't know. There's something about like people need to see that. I don't know. People need to see things that are difficult to look at and to see why that ends up happening. Yeah. Um, because no one else is going to get better and no one else is maybe going to open up and say, oh, that happened to me.
0: Yeah. Well, you know? Yeah, well, that's that's the power, you know, that's the, the power of what they've shown with this, this, uh, the reckoning is the fact that, it's highlighting that what happens when things are brushed under the carpet, it's highlighting that it could be so institutionalised and someone can get so protected by, you know, the powers that be that they can then actually get away with, like, hundreds and hundreds of cases of this awful, most awful abuse that could ever happen, you know. And you think, um, you know, that's why... Everyone must know about these things. And it's a bit like, I mean, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that can't stand the sight of my face because it, it's on everywhere and it's sort of, and uh, I'm sure there's the odd person, uh, well, not the odds, there's probably quite a few people that go, oh, who's he thinking he is? He's not, you know, and that. But I will fucking shout about it because I am a flawed, selfish, alcoholic who's got a fucking MBE, right? because and I'll tell everyone I know people say I don't like to talk about fuck that I'm going to talk about because for every person out there who's struggling who's been through what I went through as a child or who has been through the addiction that I've had you know and I I respect people who don't want to talk about it I 100% respect that but for me I want to shout about it just purely because it gives hope it gives hope to people who think wow Perhaps perhaps that perhaps it can all be alright. You know, perhaps it is worth it, perhaps it is worth the struggle to try and challenge, you know. But that's not evangelical, it's just that's what that's what pushes me to keep going with everything.
1: And it and it does, like it's it feels it feels brave some days I don't know some days it'll feel brave, some days it feels just fucking so uncomfortable some days it feels is this even necessary am i being self indulgent like but to everyone else that's ready to listen or even might think it's hope mm. you know, and i like i've al- I've always felt I've always felt really like quite sorted in 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 my head and stuff, but ironically, like the more I keep things in, the more that kind of leads to me being mentally unwell. Mm. It's like what I'm trying to say is it's people that speak the truth and their truth in the, in history are seen as crazy a lot of the time. <laughs> do you see what I'm saying and what I've especially growing up gay I've spent my. I know we all do but particularly growing up gay I've spent my entire life so far spending an insane amount of time caring what people think Mm. insane and that's why you know to get that tattoo on my leg of three men having a an intimate embrace uh was such a big deal, yeah because I would never have in a million years done that ten years ago, yeah. like are you kidding no way so and if that if that may if that means you're a bit too loud for some people or then that really doesn't matter because yeah. the alternative to not speaking your truth is that you'll end up harming yourself or others. Yeah. You know, and um, yeah. So it's, um, with HIV, it's something that I'm I'm always happy to talk about. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like it's, I don't feel like it's, I I never use the word struggle because in terms of my health, I haven't struggled at all. Like I was, you know, I got diagnosed nearly eleven years ago in Aberdeen, and I I I was looked after like a VIP because you know the, the, the HIV care has had to people have had to fight tooth and nail to make HIV care a priority. Yeah, you know, and it's only been in the last. Um, again I don't want to say I don't want to quote wrong words or or wrong uh, timescales but I'm just generalising in the last 20 years it's only been that HIV care has been taken seriously and um, you know it's um, I take my medication my I'm, I'm undetectable and in the last particularly it feels like the last five years most people know that Undetectable means untransmittable. So basically, that yeah, so that the my, I will yeah, I'm gonna get this right. So my viral load, which is your amount of the virus in in your in your system in your immune system, is um, suppressed to a point by the medication where it is undetectable. Mm-hmm. So I am, um, I cannot if I continue to take my medication and I get my bloods done um, and I've been undetectable consistently for nine years. Wow. So um, I can't transmit HIV. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd have to stop taking the meds and just completely disregard it to even get to that point where I could potentially. Yeah transmit it um and it's you know it's i feel very blessed because it wasn't that
0: yeah it wasn't that when it first came around you know Uh, you could see and i know it was a drama but it was a very powerful and real one um you know it was that that look when they were told you know that look of this death sentence and and a very ugly a horrible death. It weren't, you know, as mm. if you're going to pass away. It was, uh, you know, they those guys went through it, you know, and uh, that, worst. yeah, it was the worst ever. And, you know, to th- and even that, uh, just to say to someone like, well, I've had it sort of 10 plus years and I've, I've been untransmittable for nine of those years, is that some people won't even know that. This is why this is so important, I think. They'll think that you, you never, I mean, you never could be the point where you're completely untransmittable, let alone for the majority of the time you've had know. it. Yeah, one hundred
1: percent. It's, um, I think there's so many things like homelessness, like HIV. There's so many things that we don't have. I mean, there's there's a million things I'm sure that I'm ignorant to. Yeah. Because they they don't affect my life. Yeah. You know, and in in the last, when I talk about you know feeling that I'm always going to say the wrong thing, that's what I mean. In the last five years, particularly, I've had to look at so many things and go, "Oh my God, I I don't know anything about that. Yeah. I had no idea that that's how people were made to feel. I had no idea that I was playing a part in that. Like, yeah. blew my blows my mind still, yeah. and. You know, I think with 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 um, with being gay and with HIV, it's because you see, you know, being gay is so open now, and you see adverts on Tesco's with same sex couples. Haven't obviously there's other supermarkets, uh, but whatever, you can see adverts everywhere where people are happy and and living their true life, and you know, uh, Gareth Thomas. The rugby players being open about his status in yeah. in the last few years, and that's a, an amazing step forward. Particularly because Gareth's story came from a, a prime example of the fact that stigma's still there. Oh, yeah. You know, he, he he came out because he was being um, he was being threatened. Yeah. You know, he was being told by by the press that we're going to tell your family mm. unless you unless you kind of yeah so um, yeah it's still there but it can get better and the, the whole idea with with HIV is that you know we again I don't want to quote statistics or anything but you know Terrence Higgins Trust and all these amazing charities um and sexual health services like um dean street in london and all these amazing sexual health services the idea is to get hiv to a point where it's not an issue anymore it's the the infection rates are are getting lower and lower every year um so so yeah little by little eh
0: yeah little by little exactly right in fact, what we normally do is um, <laughs> we the, after this, I'll get you to email me your favourite headshot, and we'll get a little, and I'll write a poem okay. to go with the podcast. I think maybe this time we should just have a picture of your tattoo on the cover I think. Oh my god! Listen, if you wanted, ch- if you <laughs> want to change,
1: <laughs> if you want to change the demographic of your audience, I don't know if it's going to lose if it's going to lose you listeners or gain you. But uh oh. I'll uh, it might it might get my tattoo artist more clients. Yeah,
0: definitely. I think he's, a, he's a clever man. Um, he's got he's got a pretty long waiting list as it is, yeah, I'm but um sure. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, it's been it's been it's been wonderful talking to you. Um I've really enjoyed That's it. Fun. Um it's it's really been emotional. Um and I I had you in high regard, but I've got you even more high regard now. And, um, oh. you know, I can't wait to, you know, I can't wait to come back and join you on the front line. Thank and, you. Um, you know, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. No, I, I really appreciate
1: it. And when I say you're a rock star, you are, <laughs> you know, and it's like it's gave it's gave me Haircuts for Homelessness, in the year I've had, it's, it's given me, when you struggle with things like addiction, like I do, having stability is it's life or death. And the haircuts for homeless, even though I only do it once a month, it really gives me stability. It's somewhere where I'm going to be every month. And um, it's just amazing. I hope it goes forever.
0: So do I. I'll see you soon my friend thank you pal thank you